Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The World Unexplained. The World Unexplained. A podcast that explores the unusual beliefs, conspiracies, customs, rituals, and traditions from around the world. This is your host, Dr. Carlos. The Boy Butcher of Neosho County is today's story. Let's find out what this is all about. Sometime after midnight on March 7, 1886, Robert Mandahl woke to his dog barking outside and someone knocking at the door of his farmhouse. When he dressed and opened the door, his neighbor, a 16-year-old by the name of Willie Sill, stood cold and frantic in front of him. He couldn't talk clearly and he was rambling on about something that happened at his home. Mendel put his idlewear on, and together they went out to find out what was happening. The Sell family had a small two-room house on an 80-acre farm, and the family had worked that farm for about 15 years, and the community knew them well. Where Willie's father, J.W., was a school teacher and farmer, his wife Susan and their children, Willie, who we talked about right now, 19, and Waddy and their youngest teen, Ina, were all well-liked. When Mendel and Willie reached the cell home, they lit a lamp and took in a scene of abject horror. Inside, his father, his mother, and his two siblings had their skulls been beaten and crushed. They were all dead, and each of their throats had been cut nearly from ear to ear. Now, as a forensic psychology expert myself, this is where we're going to change this podcast a little bit because we're going to add a little bit of uh, criminology to the game here. And this is obviously very personal when somebody crushes somebody's skull and throats are slashed like this. Um, there could be a psychotic episode, a psychiatric disorder, severe one where they're deluded or hallucinating, or it's extremely personal, or both. could be a combination. Maybe even drugs could be in effect. Of course, this is 140 years ago, but drugs were still around. Um, so somebody probably knew, but we'll continue the story. The cell parents were sprawled on the floor, and the children lay bloodied in their beds. It appeared that the elder cells, the dad, had struggled doing whatever occurred that night. So obviously something happened, whether or not they came in. We don't know if the entry of the doorways were busted open. Was it somebody who snuck in? Was it somebody who broke in? Did they let them in? The floor was covered in blood, and a hatchet and a butcher knife lay nearby. Again, very personal. A washpan stained with blood stood evidence of the killer's attempt to clean up after the murder. So an attempt to clean up starts giving us an idea of an organized killer. 
compared to a disorganized killer, which we probably haven't heard much about this in this podcast because we deal with a lot of Wild West stories. But in this particular case, when you have a killer who tries to cover up, they call it an organized killer. They have more of a sense of what's going on. They know what they've done is wrong. They don't want to get in trouble. Somebody with a severe psychiatric disorder or psychotic episode doesn't really care. They'll just leave everything as is. Now, in this case, they still left the body, so maybe they ran out of time and they couldn't clean it. Who knows? When questioned, Willie claimed he woke around midnight and saw a strange man in the doorway. When Willie gave chase, the man fled, circling the cell house twice before throwing a rock at Willie. Willie followed the man but couldn't get close enough to catch him. Eventually, the man met up with an accomplice in a nearby field, Willie claimed, and the two rode into the night. But the murder scene in the cell home told a different story. When the sheriff arrived at daybreak and the scene was investigated, it was reported that no other tracks were found, aside from Willie's bootprints, over to the Mendel residence. The sheriff, along with the county attorney C.A. Cox and local coroner J.P. Fouch, also noticed that Willie showed little emotion during the ordeal, leading them to believe he might be a prime suspect. When an inquest was held at the cell home later that day, all four bodies still lay there where they were found, Willie remained unfazed by the butchering of his family. Now, again, he could have been in shock, which happens a lot of times, and uh, psychologically, our body will go into a coping mechanism. Sometimes we can become catatonic, which means we don't move, or we can develop um, oh, alexthemia, which means we have a lack of emotion because of what's happening. However, the townspeople took that, though, as guilt, and the coroner's impromptu jury found him guilty on the spot. Also didn't help, in his case, that one knee of his long underwear was covered in blood, and he claimed that he hadn't noticed the blood that soaked his boots and socks from the night before. Willis's motive for the murder wasn't obvious, though. He was on good terms with his family, particularly his young sister, though some suggested he was jealous of Wati, W-A-T-Y, courting a girl Willie was also interested in. This may have been Robert Mandel's daughter. In Willie's defense, however, one theory suggested a gang of local horse thieves may have killed the family in retaliation. Again, which I was saying was personal. J.W. was a member of an anti-horse thieves association, which may have made him a target among outlaws. There was rumors as well that cells had been chloroformed that night, and when Willie woke up before the others, he was able to stumble out of the home and get help before he himself was killed. Others, including neighbors and peers, believed Willie to be innocent, simply because he was a meek, mild-mannered boy who loved his family, as far as everyone else knew. But a mob formed at the residence, ready to hang Willie for the heinous crime. But the sheriff was able to slip Willie away to the Fort Scott Jail. Over the next few weeks, more than 500 people came to the jail to see the boy butcher of Neosho County. Though Willie still proclaimed innocence, there have been no leads in the case to suggest anyone else committed the crimes. Most of the evidence against Willie, though, was circumstantial. There was the glaring question of why he alone was spared. But at one point, he appeared to have confessed to Sheriff Parsons and several defense attorneys. Newspaper, newspaper reports claimed that Willie asked if he should discuss how the murders took place. But the sheriff told him to act as if Willie had a theory about what happened and that is instead of outright confessing. He would tell his attorneys in third person. Several times while Willie was telling me the story, said the sheriff, he would start to say I instead of the man. I always corrected him and made him tell it in the third person. Wilson also made some vague and questionable statements before and during his trial. He made one, for instance, that said those fellows tried to get me to say that I did it, but I thought it would be best not to admit it. His theoretical conversation with Sheriff Parsons wasn't a legally binding confession, but it certainly didn't help Willie's case either. 
In July of 1886, a jury took just less than an hour to find Willie Sell guilty of all the four murders. During the trial, Chance people floated all, all kinds of theories about the boy butcher, that he was insane or had committed the murders in a sleepwalking state, which has happened very rarely. I think two murders, and one of them, actually the person, the perpetrator, was not convicted in that case. There was a claim that his head was misshaped to the point that he had no development of the organs that donate family affection. Not true. Well, another suggests he may have read too many violent dime novels. Again, was he influenced by outside influences? Who knows? In any case, the evidence against Willie was enough to convict him, and because Kansas didn't hang murderers, his sentence was essentially life in prison. For more than 20 years, he was a model prisoner, working in a penitentiary dispensary and even helping prison guards recover from an attempted jailbreak. For years, his legal team worked on getting him pardoned, and one woman in particular, Sophie Boyce, the daughter of a Kansas City judge, spent hour, countless hours writing letters and requests on his behalf. Eventually, her efforts paid off. Willie was eventually pardoned 21 years after the murders. Willie worked in drugstores around Kansas, eventually owning his own store for nearly 40 years. He never had another run-in with the law, and believe it or not, he lived to be 91. He died in Kansas City, Kansas in July 1960. To this day, it's not really completely clear who murdered the Sell family that night in March 1886. After Willie's conviction, some reports claim that there were actually tracks of another man that night at the Sell house, and that a broken bottle of chloroform was found near the home years later. A wrestler in prison even confessed to the crime later on, though it's not clear if this was confession was ever confirmed. Perhaps the eerie lynch mob, eager for swift justice, had overlooked or ignored evidence in the interest of finding a quick resolution, maybe out of fear, maybe out of something else. But there was also evidence to suggest Willie may have been hiding the full story. You see, one year after the murder, a report claimed that someone on the cell property found a pair of trousers belonging to Willie under the floor of the hog pen where they had been pushed clear out of sight by a hoe handle. They were clearly stained with blood and meant to be hidden. And if they were in fact Willie's pants, one wonders why he would go to great lengths to hide them. Again, the organized killer to disorganized killer theory. Who knows what really happened there? It's a complicated story. Again, the evidence is... Kind of difficult. It doesn't look like they did a great job on trying to figure out what was going on. Uh, a lot of evidence was left. And we don't know if some of those other pieces of evidence that they found years later were planted for whatever reason. Um, nobody really knows. But it happened 128 years ago. And the fascinating thing to me about this case was that he ended up going to jail for 20 years. And then he actually was released and then lived on for another 40 years. Man, remember, the only surviving family member at the time was Willie, and he was 16. Incredible stuff. So, was he responsible? I don't know. No one believed him, at least not that night. Well, some people started believing him after, and that was tough. Things that hurt Willie were the hidden trousers years later found, and Willie never showed emotion or cried over the slaughter. In fact, he soon went to a neighbor's house and went to bed. So many people are not understanding psychology, not understanding trauma and defense mechanisms went quickly into this, he's guilty. 
But the Kansas governor finally pardoned Willie in 1907, as we mentioned, after he had served his 23 years, stating again what the defense had repeated at the trial. There was absolutely no motive for the crime. So, Willie, it's interesting because, again, 39 years went by. He was a church member and a model citizen. He eventually died in 1960 at age 91. And from all we know in writings, no other crimes were committed by him. Robert E. Handles was survived by one, the life and mind of a family mass murderer, deals with a teenage son from Mount Vernon in southern Illinois who killed not only his parents but his two brothers and sisters in 1985. It's a similar case. Um, the rabbit Robert E. Hanlon survived by one. Um, now, this individual who killed Oton Odell is serving, serving a life sentence, and he confessed to the horrific crime. Everybody tried to make up motives for him trying to kill his family, but nothing really came through. Author and local historian John Hallwass, who's a colonist, wrote a little bit about the boy butcher. So did Old West Magazine. That's it for now. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.